If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 8. Luke, chapter 8. If you've been here over the last number of months, you know we've been working our way through this Gospel, and we're going to continue uh, to do so this morning. So Luke, chapter 8. We're going to read verses 1 through 21. Luke 8, verses 1 through 21. This is the Word of God. After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household. Susanna, and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. While a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on and the birds ate it up. Some fell on rocky ground and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. When he said this, he called out, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. His disciples asked him what this parable meant. He said, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to others I speak in parables so that though seeing they may not see, though hearing they may not understand. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear. And then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. No one lights a lamp and hides it in a clay jar or puts it under a bed. Instead, they put it on a stand so that those who come in can see the light. For there is nothing hidden that will not be disclosed and nothing concealed that will not be known or brought out into the open. Therefore, consider carefully how you listen. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they think they have, will be taken from them. Now Jesus' mother and brothers came to see him, but they were not able to get near him because of the crowd. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to see you. He replied, my mother and brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. Before we consider this passage together, we're going to pray. And just a reminder, the last Saturday of the month, May 28th, we are going to be gathering here at 9 o'clock to pray, as Rick mentioned. And we're going to be praying for the Lord's leading and the Lord's direction If you have a super amount of faith, you could even pray that the Lord will heal our building, you know, that pipes will get thicker and that uh, years of wear and tear will be taken off the interior. That would be wonderful. Uh, And we're going to also, we're not just praying for the physical structure, though, we're praying for the church. What does the Lord have for us as his people? Where should we be going? What ministries should we be involved in? What is the future for us as a people who are pilgrims who really don't have a home besides glory, uh, people who are trying to impact uh, this city and this world, people who want to know God better. 
and we just need to pray. Uh, We need the Holy Spirit to lead us and to guide us. Uh, Without that, all of the best of our plans are going to come to nothing anyway. So uh, please uh, make a point of gathering here Saturday. And if it's not possible for you to be here, uh, then please remember to pray uh, on a special way on that day. Let's uh, pray now. Our Father, we have already sung songs that remind us of how great you are and how precious your Son is. And now as we look to your word, we know that you have breathed out every text of scripture, that this is your holy word, mediated through human authors, but owned in a special way by yourself. And so we ask that this morning you will help us to hear and to listen. We pray that you will help us to uh, put aside the distractions and the shallowness to uh, put aside uh, the temptations, to have our minds wander, and and even more dangerously, Lord, the temptations to simply prioritize and care about other things more than we care about you and your word. I pray that you will keep us safe uh, from the devil this morning as we listen to your word. I pray that you will open the eyes of our heart as to see you in your beauty and in your glory. Help us to see us as we are in your sight as sinners, uh, but also as your children, if we know Jesus Christ. Uh, I pray that you will help us to uh, marvel at his goodness and his grace. Help us to see the very special nature of the relationship you call us into in him. And I pray now that you will fill every heart, uh, illuminate every mind, and pour out your word into good hearts to produce a harvest of righteousness. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, one of the one of the difficulties in actually working through a gospel or working through any book is that we eventually land on a section that's been cherry-picked again and again and again and again. So that even if you've never heard someone ever work through a gospel, you've heard sermons on this passage numerous times. And so as I'm working through the gospel, I end up hitting the passage that other people have just taken out again and again and again and again, and already you're bored. So I haven't even started yet, and your minds are wandering, uh, your hearts are in other places, uh, even maybe before I was done uh, reading the passage. Your mind is already somewhere else, in utter violation of the point of the text, interestingly enough, uh, which is about listening and hearing. Uh, so you could probably, many of you, I, I mean this, could probably get up, and you could run through this passage just as well as I can. I know most of you think you can do a better job every week, uh, but this week you definitely could. You could get up, you could say what's been said, uh, you can even do sort of the mannerisms of walking across, scattering the seed. You've seen it all a million times uh, before. So I'm going to actually work through the parable itself quickly, but one of the fascinating things about Luke's gospel is Luke has flanked this parable by a couple very, very intriguing comments about women. Uh, in fact, if you are familiar with Luke's gospel as you work through it, one of the things that you notice sort of theologically about the gospel is that compared to the other gospels, Luke highlights the experience of women uh, over and over and over and over again. Uh, so that is part of his look at people who are marginalized in society. But Luke is forever talking about women that Jesus heals or women disciples, people who Jesus ministers to in a way which is far vastly disproportionate to the other gospels. So Luke highlights the experience of women with Jesus over and over and over again, uh, which actually allowed me to have one of my finest teaching moments uh, in the New Testament class that I was teaching uh, this semester when I was trying to work through Luke uh, in three hours, which is impossible for me to do even in a calendar year of preaching. So we're going through really quickly, and I tried to mention that you know Luke has a focus on women and the experience of women with Jesus, etc., etc., and I'm running out of time. So I said, and uh, I'm not sure if all the young, young men in the class took this the way I intended it, but I said, so what you really need to do is you need to go home and read the gospel of Luke and look for women. Yeah. 
and never have young men left a class more excited about their homework in their lives. So, you know, it's not, not quite what I meant, you know, and then, of course, the more you try to explain it, the worse it gets. So uh, you, you just say, well, next week we're in John, so we'll move on. We'll move on there. Jesus here is, has a ministry to women and is ministered to by them. It's very interesting. You have Mary Magdalene, out of whom is driven out seven demons. And the number for seven there is the biblical number for completion, for strength, for, for, for perfection. That is, much like the man who had the legion of demons, here is someone who is completely sort of ensnared and held in bondage by these demonic spirits. And Jesus frees her. We're not, we're not told the details, just that he has done it. Uh, so you have this poor, demon-possessed woman who is liberated by Jesus and becomes one of his followers. You also have... A very prominent woman who's married to the manager of Herod's household, the king. And her husband manages all of Herod's finances, all of the household. She's a very prominent person. She's in, in the big political circles at all of the fancy dinners. She knows everyone who's anyone in the area. And she's a follower of Jesus. Susanna and many others, we're told, not given all of their names, but many others, and some of them are very affluent. They're supporting Jesus and the disciples out of their own means. And so you see here that Jesus not only has come to minister to men, he's come to minister to men and women, but also these women are not just token followers. They are people that he cares about, people whose lives he has touched. And then out of the blessings that God has given them, they then use their resources to help Jesus continue to preach and to teach. And notice in verse 1, he's going from one village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. And we've seen that again and again and again in this gospel. Even when we're not told exactly what Jesus is saying, this is the message. Jesus is going around from village to village, city to city, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The gospel that the kingdom has come, it has broken into the world because the king has broken into the world. When Jesus has appeared, even though there is a future manifestation of the kingdom yet to come, when Jesus appears, the king has appeared. And wherever the king is, his kingdom, his rule and reign accompanies him. And so Jesus is going around from village to village, town to town, proclaiming that news. Jesus' attitude towards women is unlike the attitude of any other religious teacher in his day. There is no one like Jesus. And in fact, if you look around the world today, and if you pay very careful attention to history, you will notice that the places where women are the most honored and where women have the most freedom in the world are places where the gospel of Jesus Christ has gone. If you track through history and you take a really good look at the globe today, what you will discover is the places today where women have the most liberty and freedom and rights and value and dignity are places that have been touched by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that is a historical fact. In fact, a prominent sociologist, Rodney Stark, who's not a Christian, has done sort of sociological analysis of the Greco-Roman world. And one of the things that he says is that the church grew so quickly in the first few centuries because it was, because there were so many women who were converting to Christianity because there was nothing else like it for them in the pagan world. And Stark says, when you look at the vast difference between how women were honored and treated in the church in the first few centuries and how they were treated in society at large during those same centuries, he says, it's actually amazing from a sociological perspective that there were any women who didn't convert because life was so much better for them in the church of Jesus Christ than it was in the pagan world. That's an incredible statement, but it's borne out by all the facts. So before we get to the parable of the sower here, Luke has these, has this introductory paragraph just highlighting the experience of some particular women, these disciples of Jesus Christ who are following him, have been blessed by him, and have dedicated their lives and even their financial resources to be a blessing to Jesus as he preaches the kingdom 
of God. A large crowd in verse 4 gathers, and Jesus tells this parable. You, if you've been in church any length of time whatsoever, you know this parable. And it's based on the agriculture of the first century, where the farmer goes out, and he takes his, he has his bag of seed, and he's simply scattering it around. And some of it falls on the path, as the footpath, so you didn't have sidewalks. You know, people just walked through uh, the fields, and so some of the ground, some of the dirt gets packed down. Uh, there's other dirt there you can't tell. As a seed lands on it, it looks good, but there is also weeds there. I'm not sure uh, what your lawn looks like, uh, but uh, I have a couple dandelions on mine, and you can't tell. Early, you know, when the when the snow melts, it just looks like dirt and grass, and then this time of year, you find out oh, there's a lot of weeds in there too. And so that's the same thing with the farmer. The dirt looks good, but you don't know that there's all the, the weed spores, all the weed seed is in there as well. Uh, some soil looks good, but it's just covering a thin, it's a thin layer of soil on a layer of bedrock. And so when the seed germinates and the roots begin to go down, there's nowhere for them to go. Uh, the roots very quickly run through that first layer of soil, just an inch or two, maybe three. And all of a sudden, the roots hit the rock and can't get down anymore. And in Palestine, where the sun can get very hot, it can be very dry, all of a sudden, if you don't have a strong root system, you can't possibly have enough moisture to sustain the life of a plant. And so you're you're dead. Uh, the, the weeds choke you out. The stone makes sure that you can't grow. The path makes sure that you can't even get started. And so there are lots and lots of dangers attendant to you know, trying to raise a crop in the first century, even as there is today with all of our technology. So the disciples hear this, and there's also, of course, the good soil where there's a harvest. And the disciples hear this, and they ask Jesus, what on earth does this mean? And it is worth actually stopping at that moment to try to figure out if you would know what it meant if you didn't already have the explanation. We sometimes think the disciples, you know, they're just so thick-headed. How come they didn't understand it? Well, they didn't understand it because it wasn't easy to understand. You know, if you just heard the story and you hadn't heard a hundred sermons on it, you'd never read it in the text and you didn't know Jesus' explanation, you probably wouldn't know either. And so Jesus says, okay, listen, I'm going to explain it to you. But before he does that, he calls people, if you have ears, make sure you hear. And there's a lot of people who don't understand. And so Jesus says something very, very important to his disciples and very powerful. He says this in verse 10. The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you. Now hear that. It has been given to you. Just like when Peter first confesses that Jesus is the Messiah. Everyone says, you know, he's Jeremiah or one of the prophets or whoever. And Jesus says to his you know, disciples, well, what about you? Who do you say that I am? And Peter, speaking as the representative of the disciples, says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. Why? You finally figured it out. Uh, you're intelligent, you're clever, you're spiritual, you're mature, you're ethical, you got it. He says, no, this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, meaning even your own flesh and blood. That is, you didn't figure this out, but this was revealed to you by my Father in heaven. In other words, the only way that you can actually really truly understand who Jesus Christ is, is by a revelation of God the Father to you. You will not figure it out on your own. No one can figure it out for you. No one can teach it to you in a way that will resonate and and in a way which will compel you to receive it. The only way you can know who Jesus Christ is, is if God the Father is already at work in your life, if the Holy Spirit is already at work in your life, if the Spirit is already striving with you to bring you to a place of recognition of your sin and a recognition of who Jesus Christ is. In other words, we really are saved by grace grace, it is a gift from God to us and one that we don't deserve. The secret of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you. 
You didn't earn it because of your years of Bible study or church attendance. It was given to you. And you heard the same parable as everyone else. But what's the difference? The difference is because God is at work revealing his son to the disciples. They come and ask Jesus about it. We didn't understand it. What does it mean? See, the large crowd heard the same parable. But only a few came back to Jesus and said, help us understand it. We don't get it. We need you to teach us. We need your revelation. We can't do this on our own. We don't want to walk away not understanding what you've said. We want you to teach us. And Jesus says, well, the secret's been given to you. The reason I speak in parables is because there are a lot of people who want to see, but who don't want to see. Oh, they'll listen, but they don't actually want to hear. Though seeing, they may not see. Though hearing, they may not understand. You know, there are a lot of people in the crowd who just want Jesus to, you know, be the king who comes and drives out the Romans. There are a lot of people in the crowd who just want Jesus to multiply bread again. There are a lot of people in the crowd who just want a demon driven out or who just want, you know, to see a miracle or a display of power. And they'll listen to the teaching, but that's not why they're there. You know, they're there for the show and for the entertainment or for the healing in their own lives. In other words, they're coming to Jesus for what they can get. And Jesus says, then I teach them. And I go, well, that's nice, but but how about you you make a lame person walk? You know, I, I didn't walk five miles, you know, out into the countryside to hear you talk to me about farming. I came out here to see something interesting. And Jesus says, there's a lot of people who, well, they they, they want to hear, but they don't want to understand. They They come out to see the spectacle. They don't come out to see who I am, though seeing they may not see. If they really wanted to know, they, they'd come and find out. They'd put their faith in me. And this is the meaning of the parable, he says. And the secret to it is the second half of verse 11. The seed is the word of God. The seed is the word of God. Now notice that. The seed is not the sermon about the Word of God. The seed is the Word of God itself. In other words, the seed is the perfect message. The seed is not mediated to you from the Word of God through me or through anyone else. The seed is the Word itself. And so what you end up seeing here is that the very word of God, a message that cannot be improved upon, a message that comes with absolute authority from someone with a perfect character, you know, infinitely worthy of praise and adoration and glory and honor, one who is omniscient, who knows everything, one who is omnisapient, all wise. And so he not only knows everything, but he knows the best way of using his knowledge. He can use, he can achieve the best ends through the best means. He knows everything and he's perfectly wise. He's perfectly holy, perfectly good. He speaks his word everywhere. And so God here, the word of God is basically seen as seed, good seed that can grow, that isn't sort of just carefully placed in the very best spots. It's just thrown everywhere. The word of God is just cast all over the place, you know, indiscriminately. It's just thrown everywhere. So you almost think, I realize that Psalm 19 is talking about uh, communication without words in the first part of of the psalm, and then talks about the law of the Lord. But the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. And so even creation is continually proclaiming the glory of God. And so we have general revelation in creation. We have special revelation in the scriptures, in the breathed out, inspired, and inerrant, perfect word and message of God. And it just casts all over the world. 
And most people don't want to hear it. Some people, their hearts are so hard, it's like dirt that's been trampled down in the field again and again and again as people cut through the countryside. And so the seed doesn't doesn't even penetrate. There's no even pretense of listening. It just sits right on the surface. And as the birds would just see that seed and come down and just take it away, Jesus says, Satan sees a heart like that and he doesn't need to worry about it. Not, the seed's not going to do anything anyway. He just needs to swoop down, just grab it. It's gone. Like it was never there in the first place. Just gone. But notice the tragedy of what Jesus says about that heart. He says, Satan comes down and swoops down and plucks it up so that they cannot hear and be saved. So you must understand this. The only way to be saved is to hear and accept the word of God. Because the gospel of Jesus Christ is verbally declared and is a message with cognitive content. In other words, Jesus is someone and he's not other things. And he did something and not other things. And you are someone and not other things. And unless you know who you are and who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for you, unless you receive that and entrust yourself to him, you cannot be saved. There is only one way to be restored into a right relationship with God, and that is through receiving his word. His word that tells us about his love. His word that tells us about his mercy and compassion and grace. His word that tells us that Jesus is not merely a mortal human being, but fully God and fully man. Come into this world to live a perfect, righteous life and then to take upon himself the punishment of sinners. To be willing to take upon himself the death of sinners and the wrath of God against sinners. And in dying in their place as their substitute... He provides a perfect and full salvation, a perfect and full atonement, making it right, paying the penalty for our sin, satisfying the law and holy character of God. And in exchange for our sin, he takes upon himself our sin. In exchange for that, he offers us his perfect life and righteousness. Just to be received, just to be accepted, just to be taken into our heart so our lives can be transformed. But if you don't hear that message, then you can never be saved. It is impossible to be saved apart from accepting and entrusting yourself to Jesus in light of what he has done in his word. There are other people, though, who don't seem quite as calloused. Uh, Those who receive the word with joy when they hear it. And and the truth is, there are are people, and I I know people, sadly, in my experience, who I think are perfectly characterized by this. Um, There was one girl I know, uh, when I was at a teens camp and then counseling at the camp, she was a number of years younger. And I think for four years in a row, at the last campfire, you know, get up and say, this last year I got in with the wrong crowd and, you know, I'm, I got far from the Lord and, you know, I'm not proud of it. This, this year going back, this week's been exactly what I need to refocus and I'm going to go back to my school. I'm going to live for Jesus and it's going to be different. And the next year gets up and last campfire, oh, this last year I've got far, that seems like deja vu. And then the third year, it's the same thing. And the fourth year, I said to someone, I said, you know, I'm, I'm going to have a hard time if she gets up and starts going through this again. I'm going to say, how about, how about you tell us in November that you're going to live for Jesus? Don't tell us in August. You know, let, let's see some change. 
But there are people who, for whatever reason, you, know, you, you go to the youth rally, you go to the Christian camp, you, you go on the short-term missions trip, uh, or, or whatever, and you come back, and, and now I'm on fire for the Lord, and people, you know, they're gonna, my whole life's going to be different. And it's, it's the exact same principle uh, that we see again and again and again and again when it comes to physical things. So, you know, January 1st, no more cheesecake, right? January 2nd. Well, maybe just one piece. You know, you go, what just happened? You know, or, or, you know, you, you watch the Rocky movies, you know, and you're convinced, you know, I've watched the Rocky movies and now my whole life is going to be dedicated to, tr- to drinking raw eggs in the morning and running, you know, and I'm going to work out and I'm going to be able to beat up, you know, Russian superstars, you know, and it's going to be awesome. And then, you know, the first day, you know, you wake up and, and you crack a raw egg into a glass. You go, you know what? I think I'm going back to bed. You know, well, well, what happened? Well, the night before you were, you were pretty keyed up. You know, this is exciting. I'm going to change my life. But then in real life, oh, there's no root. Now, I don't really care that much about my diet. I don't really care that much about, you know, being in fantastic physical condition. I mean, thankfully, I am just naturally. I don't need to work at it. You know, I just go, I don't, I don't have time for this. I have other priorities. And, and what was exciting is gone. How many times have, have some of us heard a message or been somewhere and, and it's going to be different? Oh, there's just no root. There, there's, there's just no root. And for many of us, and in North America, how much do we need to hear this? Seed fell among thorns. It stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked. You're supposed to think of the plant growing up, but then the weeds sort of cling to it and and wrap around it and entangle it. What are we choked by? We're choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures. Uh, in, a, in a country where we have the highest standard of living of any people in the history of the world. We all need to hear this. See, see this is not uh, for us. We, we are so rich as a people in terms of historical uh, knowledge, but also in terms of around the world today. But we don't realize that, that honestly, basically, Guelph is a gated community. And I realize there, I realize there is, there is poverty. I, I realize there, I, I, I know, I know that, I get it. But if you want to talk about a standard of living that is just unimaginable, literally, they cannot imagine what it is like for billions and billions of people in the world. It's this city. We have so much wealth. And see, our problem is we're so wealthy that we tend to say, well, I'm not rich. It's the person who has a lot more than I have. But, you know, when we talk about the 1%, in the world, I'm part of the 1%. A middle 30s evangelical Baptist pastor is part of the 1% in terms of global wealth. Which, by the way, doesn't mean you're overpaying me. You're not. Right? But there's just so... What it really means is we have no... We just have no grasp of what the poverty around the world is like. It's just... There's so many people who, who live with grinding, grinding poverty. You know, they're probably fully a, a quarter, 20, 25% of the people who wake up today... They don't know where they're going to eat. Think about that. There are, there are over one billion people. And in Canada, we just have no idea what those numbers even mean. Our whole country is what, you know, 36, 37 million maybe? There are a billion people, over a billion people. Barely, barely able to feed themselves let alone to be able to have money for pleasure. You realize there are a lot of people in the world who will never once in their life eat a snack. There's no category of snack food. They don't know what that means. 
to be able to go to a restaurant just because you want to have a nice dinner. They, have, they, they can't imagine that. And for us, we have, we have so much technology and so much entertainment and, and so much money and so many things that we can do for pleasure. Now listen, we're not called to be ascetics and just, you know, try to make ourselves miserable and, and avoid blessings that God has given us. We have to recognize the attendant dangers in our own time in history and in our own society. In a society that teaches us to be very, very, very indulgent, even if you can't afford it. How then, as a Christian, do you practice self-denial? It's just a completely contrary message. And if we steep ourselves in the priorities of the world, then it will be absolutely impossible to ever deny ourselves in the moment of trial and the moment of fire. And so Jesus warns us, be careful. The pleasures, the riches of this world can choke out and destroy your fruitfulness in the kingdom. It can destroy how you respond to the word of God. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. And this is one we can all be very thankful for. Despite all the dangers, despite our society, despite our materialism, despite all the pleasures and wealth that we live with, despite uh, you know, the, the tendency of, uh, in our lives in all sorts of areas to have lots of good intentions and to be really happy and to be really gung-ho about something, and the next day it's all faded away, you know, despite sometimes, frankly, the hardness of our hearts, you know, there still is, in God's grace, a possibility of the Word of God totally transforming our lives. And when it transforms our lives, there's such an abundance that it can be a blessing to other people as well. And that's an incredible thing. And if you're carefully working through what Jesus has been saying, if you have a good and noble heart, you know it's not because you naturally have a good and noble heart. It's because God has been at work in your life. It's because the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given to you. It's because these things have been revealed to you, not by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. It's because the Holy Spirit has taken out the heart of stone and put in the heart of flesh. It's because the Lord God has vanquished seven demons and kept Satan from coming and snatching away the seed. It's because the Lord has fertilized, the Lord has plowed, the Lord has made sure that you are capable of receiving his word. In other words, the fruit that is produced, in terms of the the nomenclature in the book of uh, Galatians, the fruit that is produced is not your fruit. It is the fruit of the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit is what is produced when there is a harvest in our lives is because God has been at work in us. This is one of the things that we can do. We can pray. Lord, we know, I mean, you know. We can can maybe pray for some of these people on the Saturday when we get together. You know people whose hearts are so hard against the gospel, they will not hear it. You do. So do I. Well, what are you going to do about it? Are you going to soften their heart? Are you going to be wise enough to, to instruct them or to, you know, to win the debate so then they go, oh, well, you won the debate. I guess I have no choice but to be a Christian. Like, is that what's going to happen? It's not my experience. Maybe I'm not good enough at winning debates. I don't know. You know, that doesn't seem to be the way things work. But there is someone who can soften their hearts, right? It's not me. We can, we can love people, we can share with them, we can proclaim the truth, we never back down from the truth of God. We can do our best to model Christian virtue. But at the end of the day, what we should really be modeling to people is that if we are saved, it's only because of the grace of Jesus Christ. That's one of the things I think we need to tell people. My goodness, you know, if, it was, if I was going to choose to be a Christian on the basis of how I act, I wouldn't be a Christian either. I'm not good enough to make the cut. I never will be. So if you're waiting for me to sort of model this perfect righteousness, you're going to wait forever. But the message is a message of grace. I'm saved not because I'm good enough or will ever be good enough. I'm saved because of the grace and righteousness and merit of Jesus and Jesus alone. So no matter how hard the heart is, the Lord God can, he he can soften it. 
He can take out the heart of stone and put in the heart of flesh. No matter how many weeds there are, the Lord can start very carefully pruning. The Lord can start very carefully removing those weeds so that the seed can actually grow and germinate. Well, the Lord then says, shifting the metaphor, he moves from seeds to light. No one lights a lamp and hides it in a clay jar or puts it under a bed. Instead, they put it on a stand so that those who come in can see the light. For there is nothing hidden that will not be disclosed and nothing concealed that will not be known or brought out into the open. So here now the metaphor is shifted from agricultural uh, to a light on a stand. Just like, you know, you go into your home and it's dark. First thing you do is you turn on the lights. In fact, one and one of the things that, that actually taught me this, it might sound strange to, to be taught how to turn on lights. Uh, when, when we were in Madoc, there was, there was a young man in the church who was blind. And there was a church event at night, and I drove him to his home afterwards. And I was, he needed help with something. I can't remember what it was. I was so I, I was going to help him get upstairs. And I walk in the house, and it's pitch black. And it never occurred to him that I couldn't see. So he just starts walking into the room because he never turns on the lights. He's blind. And, and so I'm trying to, you know, now, because I'm sort of in the middle of the room, and I'm trying to figure out, well, where's the wall? Where's the light switch? I can't see anything. Right? I mean, we, just, we just take it for granted. You go into somewhere that's dark. If you want to see, you turn on the lights. And so Jesus says the same thing. If you have a lamp, you put it somewhere prominent where you can turn it on and the light illuminates the whole room. You don't stick it under a bed. You don't you know, put a cover over it. You want to see. Verse 18, and this is the conclusion. Therefore, consider carefully how you listen. In other words, is your heart actually receiving the word of God? And is your heart actually producing a harvest of righteousness? Is the word of God like a light in the room of your life? Is the word of God searching and illuminating and shining up everything in your life? Or or has it sort of been damped down a little bit? Are you dimming it? Are you not even turning it on? Are you going into your home and not bothering to turn the lights on? Are you going through life not bothering to light the lamp of the word of God? I mean... This last week, in your life, in your home, was this book open? Was it closed? Was, was the light on? Or was the light off? The Word of God is the light source of your life. Make sure that in your home you turn the light on. You let it shine. Consider carefully how you listen. Do you listen? Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they think they have, will be taken from them. This seems harsh, but what Jesus is really saying is this. Listen. If you won't hear, you can't receive anything. If you know how to listen, you'll just keep getting more and more and more and more because you've learned how to listen to God. And so the whole secret is, if you can't hear, you'll never get anything. Even what you think you have, you don't have. But if you know how to receive the word by God's grace, if you know how to listen, you'll just go from strength to strength, from harvest to harvest. You'll get more and more and more and more because the secret is to have a receptive heart that wants to hear the word of God. The secret is to have eyes that want the light of God. And when you want the heart of God, when you want the light of God, when you want the seed of the word of God, then you'll just get more and more and more and more and more. But if you don't know how to listen in the first place, you can't get anything. So you end up with nothing. It's very stark. It's very polarizing. But that's the way that it is. It's an all or nothing thing. You either have Jesus and get more and more. Or you won't have anything at all. Now. You may be forgiven. uh, If you came here for a Mother's Day message. For thinking. I'm not entirely sure what that has to do with Mother's Day. 
Well, and you would be right uh, up to this point, uh, although it may be worthwhile even saying that, uh, you know, to, to draft off Rick's announcements. Um, hopefully your mother taught you how to listen. You know? And so now I'm trying to teach you how to listen to God. You know, Jesus wants you to listen. But there's something that's even more important than that. This isn't just sort of, Jesus is not clubbing people over the head saying, make sure you listen well. Stop being bad. You know, listen, you know, be disciplined. Make sure you hear or I'm going to be really angry about it. He's not saying that, although he could. He's saying that if you listen, there will be a 100-fold harvest in your life. In other words, if you actually learn to listen, you will be blessed. If you learn to listen, it'll be like having the lights on in your house. So these are good things. But there's something even more important than that, something even more beautiful and special than that. And that's in these next three verses, 19, 20, and 21. See, the parable of the sower and the parable of the lamp on the stand and this next section, all three sections are all about listening to the word of God. Now, Jesus' mother and brothers came to see him, but they were not able to get near him because of the crowd. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to see you. He replied, my mother and brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. Now, listen, I want to be very, very careful here because it is not generally considered very polite to say negative things about mothers. And so I want to be relatively careful here. But, so do not hear me saying anything derogatory about motherhood. Don't hear me say that. I'm not. However, I do worry that too often in our evangelical churches, motherhood is held up as the highest possible virtue and role for women. And it's not. Do not, by me saying that, interpret me saying that motherhood is not important or that it's not a blessing or anything like that whatsoever. I There are actually many days when I don't even know if I would... I probably wouldn't... I, some There are days when I'm not even sure I would have been born if it wasn't for my mother. Okay? So so I'm not... I, I'm not down on mothers. Okay? I think that, at least, at least for me, having a mother was probably a pretty good thing uh, in terms of coming into this world. And in an ongoing sense, too. I have to be more careful. I love my mom. She'll probably listen to this sermon. Mom, you're the best. Uh, but not because she's my mother. Right? There's something that is infinitely more valuable for men and women than being fathers or mothers. And that's hearing the word of God. Do you hear that? Who is my mother? Who is my brother? Who is part of my family? Those who hear God's word and put it into practice. Not just those who, who casually listen, but those who actually live it out. Jesus says, that is my mother. Now think about that. In fact, later on in Luke's gospel, there's a woman who's going to cry out. She hear Jesus, she's hearing Jesus speak, and she's so amazed, she cries out, Blessed is the mother who gave you birth and nursed you. And you know, she pronounces a benediction on the mother of Jesus. Blessed is the mother who gave you birth and nursed you. And he replied... Blessed, rather, are those who hear the word of God and obey it. So twice in the Gospel of Luke, someone points out to Jesus, Hey, your mother's pretty great. And he says, you know what? Every single person who hears the word of God and obeys it is greater. Blessed is your mother, Jesus. No. Blessed, rather are those women who hear my word and obey it. Blessed, rather, are those women who are my disciples. Blessed, rather, are those women who love me, who follow me. And that does not mean that motherhood is not a blessing. But what it means is that it is not the ultimate blessing. It is not the reason d'etre for women in this world. I can't help but notice, too, we don't have the same sort of, you know, 
we don't put the same sort of priority on men being fathers and hu- you know, husbands and fathers as we do put on women for being wives and mothers, which is grotesquely unfair, uh, at least in a biblical model of things. Uh, Mary is blessed more for being a disciple of Jesus than for being his mother. Mary is more blessed to have Jesus as her Savior than Jesus as her Son. And she is the most blessed of all mothers for being the mother of Jesus himself. Let that sink into your heart. That says an awful lot about how great Jesus is. That says an awful lot about how special it is to be part of his family. To hear his word and to put it into practice, that's even better. And on Mother's Day of all days, when we think about how great moms are and all of the rest, it's even greater to know and follow Jesus. And I was reflecting on this personally. And I will tell you, one of the things that that helped clarify this for me is, I know I'll never be in in this sort of position, but if God were to come to me and say, okay, Steve, listen, I'll, I'll give you two choices. You can either have your girls grow up and get married and have children. Or you can have them grow up and follow me. It's, it's not even a question. It's not even a hesitation. Like not, not for one moment would I have to think about that or debate that or worry about that or weigh out the pros and cons. It's a no-brainer. It's just great. Follow you. Why? Because it is infinitely greater to hear the word of God and obey it than it is even to be the mother of Jesus. What a privilege for us to be part of the family of God. Oh, listen, pay careful attention to how you hear and be part of the family of Jesus. I'm going to ask our musicians to come and lead us in our closing song.